Uh, and if you're standing here, you can go ahead and flip open your Bible, or it'll be on the screen, uh, to Luke chapter 17. Uh, we've been studying the book of Luke for a whole year, and we're on pace to finish uh, one day. No, just kidding. Uh, we're going to finish in April, and hopefully, I'm, I've sketched it out, and Lord willing, we get to the resurrection story on Easter Sunday. So today, we're in a section of Scripture uh, where Jesus is teaching, and we've been in a long section of teaching. Different teachings, uh, not all in the same order, uh, but Luke has grouped these teachings uh, together. And today, uh, Jesus is going to teach a few different things. Uh, and here's what it, I think Luke and Jesus are getting at. Uh, he's teaching them who they're going to be, who they're going to be, what their culture, what their, uh, their characteristics are going to be as part of the kingdom of God. Uh, we might call them values, values, kingdom values, things that are important to Jesus, things that are massively important to Jesus. Now, if you think about this, uh, lots of leaders do this. Coaches do this in locker rooms. They put up slogans. They put up phrases, uh, things that you hit and you slap on the way out of, of the door, right? And they're setting a culture. They're saying, this is what we value. Maybe in basketball, it's defense. Maybe it's toughness in football. But th they're setting a value. They're putting, this is the word that's going to define who we are, how we play, how we treat one another. Uh, teachers, y'all do this in classrooms. You put up inspirational quotes. Uh, you put up uh, affirming messages. You put up all sorts of culture statements. Uh, I don't even know it. I don't have examples for that because I'm not a teacher, nor am I that encouraging, to be honest. So um, one summer I did this in our family, and I set the culture that this is what we were going to do. I was going to smoke meat, get wet, and have fun. That was our summer. I wanted to smoke meat. I wanted to get really good at cooking brisket. I wanted to get wet. I wanted us to play in the water as much as possible, and I wanted us to have fun, right? Silly. Those are not great values to live by, uh, but that was one summer. Now, Maddie, the more serious one in our family, uh, she's put together, and, and I helped with this, uh, but she loves this, and so we have this piece of, I don't know, artwork in our, Jeremy, I think we have a slide, a picture of it. Uh, in, in our house, and it's family values. Now, you can't see those, but here they are. Love God and the church. Open lives, open home. Abundant generosity. Forgive freely. Truth always. Grace, not perfection. Laugh often. Work hard. Have fun. And I see those often, and most of the time, you know, you don't, you just see it. It's just beautiful art on the wall or whatever. But as I thought about those, I realized this is how we're raising our kids. This is how we're showing them what's important to us. We're, we're trying to live these things out. And I think today as Jesus is teaching, that's what he's doing. He's saying, here's the kingdom values. If you're going to be a part of my kingdom, you're going to walk with me and follow me. This is how we're going to be. This is what our family is going to be like. This is what, how we're going to treat one another. And so let's read these together. Luke 17, uh, 1 through 19. And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. 
Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. And the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he's come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done what was our duty. And on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers, stood at a distance, and, he, and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Let me pray. God, I pray this morning as we uh, listen to Jesus' teaching. We learn from his example. God, I pray um, that you would help us to value what Jesus values. God, you would help us to live um, consistent with these values. God, in our families, in our church, in, in our communities of friends, and in, in, in our community of Huntington, God, may these values um, be our values, God, and where we don't line up with this, where we think something else is more important, God, may you convict us and bring us back to this, uh, to, to value what you value and to love what you love. And so we pray that you would help us to understand this morning, pray that, God, that we would live out this message, not just fill up our heads, God. We love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. All right, and if you're like me, maybe you read this and went, uh, okay, all right, uh, I don't, okay, all right. That's kind of how I read this first. How, that's kind of how Mondays are for me most weeks. I read this and I go, God, what are you trying to say? And I think as I, I studied this, I realized this is what he's trying to do. He's trying to emphasize different values. So the first one is this, verses one and two. It's valuing community, valuing others, valuing relationships and people more than self. And this is what it says. He, he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. Right? He's teaching his disciples, here's how, you're gonna, here's how we're going to live as followers of me. And he says, he acknowledges the fact, every single one of us will face temptations. Every one of us will be, like, being a Christian doesn't solve all your problems, right? It doesn't fix the fact that we're still tempted towards sin. Only, that'll only be true in heaven. And so he acknowledges we're all going to face temptation. 
Now, as we grow in the faith, we get better at resisting that temptation. We get better at choosing the godly ways and not going down the sinful paths. Uh, Why? Because we realize how much it hurts us, how much it hurts our family, how much it dishonors God when we do that. So as we're growing in the faith, we realize how to fight temptation. But that's not even the point of what he's saying. He says, woe to the one through whom they come. Now, one of the temptations we face is maybe to lead others into sin. It's to lead others into our own sin, right? And he says, woe unto them. This is a pronouncement of judgment. He's saying, you do not want to be like this. We are not going to be those who lead one another to sin. Now, this is the job of every disciple. We live in such a Western individualistic culture that this is hard for us. I'm just going to be honest. This is hard for me. Because I think about what's best for me and my family. Every single one of you does. In their culture, it's a little different. They're a little more others-oriented. But Jesus is saying here, the job of every disciple is not just look out for yourself. It's not just grow in your own faith. No, disciples are concerned for others. We value community. We value others. And that's what a disciple does. He helps other people follow Jesus, which in part means we don't lead our friends and our family and those around us towards sin. We don't want to, right? If we really want to follow Jesus, we want others around us to follow Jesus. We don't want to put stumbling blocks. We don't want to hurt other people's walks by the choices we make, the places we go, all the sorts of things. Now, for us, so many of us, this happens in issues of, of liberty, issues of uh, Christian liberty, where there's not a clear scripture about this or that, and it's kind of, kind of vague. What, how should we do that? How should we handle this? Where, should I go there? Should I not go there? Issues of wisdom. And you may have decided in your heart that this is fine for me. This is good for me. It's right for me. But if you're only considering yourself, Jesus says, no, that's not the value. We value others. And so we have to consider, how do my actions affect the community around me? Jesus says in verse 2, It would have been better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the seed and that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Jesus says the consequences of living a life where we're leading other people to sin, where we're causing other people to stumble, he says it would be better for you to drown with a heavy rock around your neck than to lead someone else into sin. And so Jesus is making the point here. We have to value community. We can't just live for ourselves. We can't just live for what's good for me No, a disciple doesn't think that way. A disciple values community. So that's first. Second, the second kingdom value is that we take sin seriously. Look at verse 3. He says, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. He says, Pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And so first he says that we need to pay attention to ourselves. We need to watch our lives, how we live, how we speak, what our attitude is towards people. We need to be aware of ourselves. We can't just 
haphazardly live and just laissez-faire, just do whatever we want, right? Just, I'm just going to live, and if it hurts you, too bad, right? He says, no, pay attention to yourselves. And one of the things he's telling us to pay attention to is sin. He's telling us to pay attention to sin. When we see it in our own lives as Christians, as followers of Jesus, he's telling us to pay attention to it and to take it seriously. Every one of us has it. I don't know why we're so ashamed of it, right? We have the method to get rid of it, to confess it, to bring it into the light, to expose it, and to move on from it, right? We know we've been forgiven. Now, Jesus puts another value in place here, though. It's not just look out for yourselves, right? Because then he directs our attention. He says, pay attention to yourselves. But then he says, if your brother sins. Now, why would he make this statement? Why can't we just all kind of just take care of our own selves and not worry about those around us? Well, partly because of the first value, that we value community. We value, it's not just a lone ranger Christianity. It's just me and the Lord. It's just me and my relationship with him. No, that, that's never presented in Scripture. It's always us, we, together. And so he says, when you see your brother in sin, what does he say? Ignore it? Sweep it under the rug? That's what I wish he said. No, what does he say? He says, rebuke it. In a healthy community of followers of Jesus, there are times when our brothers and sisters will point out things that we are doing that are sinful. And if you can't handle somebody pointing out your sin sometimes, then you may not be in a place where you can point that out before God, right? When we are in a non-healthy place, if, if, if Shane comes to me and Shane says, hey man, I see your attitude towards this is really sour and you don't like that person. If he comes to me with that and I immediately get defensive and justify it and give all my excuses as to why they, I deserve to have this attitude and this and that, then that's not good, right? I need Shane. I need others not, hopefully not all of you at the same time, okay? But I need you to help me because I don't always see sin in my own life. I don't always see my attitude. And you need the same thing. You need trusted brothers and sisters around you that are willing to call sin, sin. Willing to point it out and say, hey, this isn't good. This is not right. Now, we always should do this full of grace. Jesus is described as full of grace, full of truth. He's not just, uh, just calling out people's sin, rebuking them. If you're just only rebuking people and you just feel this is your call now to just, oh, wait, you're doing this, and you're doing this, and I can't believe you're doing that. If that's all you're doing, then you're in the wrong now. You're not loving. You're not trying to restore. You're not trying to redeem. You don't really care about your brother. You're just using truth as a weapon. Right? We're, we're meant to do both to be full of truth, full of grace. And so partly what this means that we value taking sin seriously is we got to be honest about it. We've got to be honest. We've got to call sin, sin. Not use nicknames and not uh, laugh and joke about it, right? We don't need to minimize it. We need to be honest about what it is. And sometimes we need to call it out in others. Why? Because we want to help them come back to the Lord right? Now, let's keep going. That's not the only value taking sin seriously. If that was the only value, we'd be in trouble. Look at verse 3. 
He says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The third value of the kingdom is that we forgive freely. We forgive freely. The goal of calling out sin, for the goal of shame coming and approaching me about my sin is that I would turn from it. I would repent of it. And I would not go back to it, right? And so that's our desire. Our desire is to see uh, each other walk with the Lord closely. And to do that, we have to forgive. We need forgiveness before God and we need forgiveness amongst each other. Forgiveness means that we no longer hold that against them, that we, we don't keep that as a, as a kind of a, a scarlet letter on them, that, that they're always going to be the one who did that, the one who struggled with that. No, 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 we are called to forgive. We're called to forgive freely, to offer it freely to those who are repenting. Now, we all pause right here and we go, yeah, but you don't know my situation. Yeah, but you don't know this person. You don't know what they've done. You don't understand, da-da-da. And I, I don't. You're right. I don't want to. Jesus heads this off at the path. And here's what he says in verse 4. If he sins against you seven times in the day. That's a lot, right? That's a lot. It's not just, hey, I did it once, I did it twice. No, this is a pattern and some of us would go, ah, I'm not going to forgive them because this is a pattern in their life. Jesus says if they do it seven times in a day and they come to you and say, I repent, they're genuine in their repentance, then you forgive them. Jesus is not literally saying count, okay? So if you've got a record book <laughs> and you're keeping track of your spouse's sin against you, I suggest you get rid of that, okay? Unless they find that because their list towards you is going to be even worse. He's not saying literally. Seven is a number of completion or perfection. And we know elsewhere Jesus teaches that how many times should we forgive our brother? What does he say? Not seven times. What does he say? What does he say? Seventy times seven, right? So does he mean 490 now? No, he's, not. he's getting us to realize we are to forgive freely and abundantly. Why? Why is that a value of ours? Because we have been forgiven freely and abundantly. We are a group of people who seven times in a day does the same thing and calls out to God, please forgive me. And what does God do? He lavishes forgiveness on us. And so if we're going to be his people, we're going to be in his family, we need to forgive freely. Next, verse five and six. Kingdom value number four is live by faith. Live by faith. Look at verse five. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. We've covered a similar passage uh, previously in Jesus' teaching. And Jesus is not teaching them how to uh, plant trees in the sea. That's not the point of this passage, right? And I don't really know what prompts this request by the apostles. Increase our faith. Maybe that's something you've prayed. Maybe that's something you've come to a place in life where life is hard, life is difficult. Maybe you don't understand. Maybe you don't know where to go, where to turn, what to do. And you've cried out to God, God, I need more faith. Increase my faith. 
Maybe in light of what he's just told them about forgiving freely, they're going, Lord, I'm going to need some more faith to do that. It probably is said in many times of their life. Why? Because they're probably cynical. They're probably a little bit jaded. They're probably a little bit hard-hearted. And they realize, no, I need bigger faith. I need bigger faith. And Jesus gives them a very interesting response in verse 6. He doesn't go, yeah, that's a great, that's a great ask. Here's more faith. What does he do? He points out something that's very fundamental, fundamentally wrong in their understanding. He's making the point, the amount of your faith is not what matters. This is not about the size, the amount, the immensity of your faith. He's making the point that this is not about the size. This is about who your faith is in. Your faith is not this uh, force, this, this uh, power that you've built up, this, this something in you that you now can release and exert, and you just need a bigger amount of that. No, 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 no. Faith is about trust in someone, trust in somebody. And so what he's saying to them is, you need to be disciples who live by faith. You're trusting your own ability, your own reason, your own skills, your own wisdom, your own everything. You don't need bigger faith. You need to actually have faith. You need to have faith in God. Their, the object of their faith was misdirected to themselves. And Jesus is telling them, no, you're to be those who live by faith. Now, Man, if you around long enough, we, we use this phrase, I, I, I'm going to live by faith. I'm meant to live by faith. And, and I think so many times, I know this was true in my 20s, the way I understood that was, I need to be radical. <laughs> I need to make big, crazy life decisions. I need, to, I need to do things that make no sense because the less sense things make, the more faith I'm exerting, right? That was kind of how I interpreted live by faith, as if somehow doing irrational things is in line with God's will. That's not true at all. Living by faith means that we trust God at his word, that we trust that his ways are the best ways. It means that we stop and we ask God to work, not try to do it on our own. Sometimes living by faith means doing less sitting, being patient, uh, so many other things. Because the point is not our actions, the point is our heart. The point is our heart. And so living by faith has so many practical applications. We're not going to be able to get to all of them. Let's keep going. That's value number four, live by faith. Number five, the kingdom value number five is serve willingly. Verse seven through ten. Jesus says, will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he's come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We've only done what was our duty. Now, this question Jesus proposes is, again, kind of foreign to us. Uh, but, but Jesus is, is saying, should you ask your servant to come in and, and dine with you? And the implied answer that they all would understand is, no, no way. 
right? Of course not. That was not the job of the servant, right? The master had a job, the servant had a job, and the servant was hired, taken care of to do those tasks. And so it would make no sense uh, to, to go outside of that. The expectation was, hey, you're going to go work the fields, you're come in, you're going to make dinner, and then you're going to eat. That was the normal expectation. It's normal for the master to expect them to do this. Why? Because they were the servant. <laughs> they existed to serve the master. And it says in verse 9, do you, uh, it says, does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? The master is not sending them a thank you card. Hey, thanks for showing up to work today. <laughs> hey, thanks for uh, doing what I told you to. Hey, hey thanks for uh, taking care of that. No, no, we are to be thankful people, but the point Jesus is making is this. We have to understand who we are. We are not the master. We are not the one in charge. We are not the Lord. We are not the one who makes the calls. We are the servants. And as servants, we've been brought into the family of God for a purpose. And it's by grace. Not because we deserve to be there, because we deserve to sit at the table. We're not a son. We've been brought in as servants. And so what Jesus is emphasizing to his disciples, and he does this in so many other teachings throughout Scripture, is we are to be servant-hearted, to serve willingly. We talked about it in our life group this morning. That takes immense humility, right? It takes immense humility to go, you know what? I see a need. I'm going to go meet that need. I, I, see, I see something that needs to be done. That person has a need. I'm going to go meet that, right? Jesus is emphasizing that we did not come to be served, but to serve. Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. Why? Because that's who he is. Because he's all about this. Now, as I read this and I thought about our own church community, I am, as your pastor, so encouraged by the amount of you who serve willingly. This is a part of our culture. This is a value of ours. People often step up to meet needs, uh, to serve in the nursery, to serve with our kids, to serve on missions, to, to, to give towards different causes and like you are a people who have often showed that you are willing to serve. You give of your time and your resources willingly. And I thank God for so many of you that, that have shown that. And that is, a, that is a DNA that's part of our church that um, obviously we can grow in. <laughs> obviously we can be better at. But I have so many examples to look at around when it comes to serving willingly. Let's go to the last one. Verse 11. Last kingdom value. I'm calling this live a God-focused life. Living, living a God-focused life. Let's, let's retell this story. So Jesus is passing along this, this village between, he's in the north between uh, Israel and Samaria, and he comes to this village and there's ten lepers, it tell us, this colony of lepers. Now, leprosy was this uh, skin disease that they were forced to be exiled from the community because it was highly transferable. My family's all at home sick today, not with leprosy, but with something else. And so we kept them away. They have been exiled to the living room. They are not here to pass on their leprosy. Uh, and Jesus comes to this group, this group who has been physically 
and in all sorts of ways shunned. <laughs> they have been exiled. They are not a part of the community. And they cry out to Jesus. It says from afar. They didn't come up to him and try to interact with him. And they say, Lord, Master, have mercy on us. The, the cost of that life is too much. And they, they can't bear it anymore. And they, they want to be past their suffering. And so they cry out to Jesus for mercy. And Jesus, in verse 14, it says that he, well, it doesn't say, but, but we know that from other places, he has compassion on them. He sees their situation, and he's going to do something about it. And so he tells them, go show yourselves to the priest. That would have been a normal process of them getting over their disease, being confirmed by the priest that they're clean so that they could re-enter society. And so what he's telling them to do is, you're going to be healed, go show yourself to the priest. And so all ten of them have this moment of, is he for real? Like, are we doing this? And so they turn and they go to the priest. And it, it seems as if on their way, as they have turned to go to the priest, they are completely healed of their leprosy. Now what happens is this. One of them, one of those ten, realizes what has happened as he's on his way to the priest. And he turns around and he goes back to Jesus. The other nine, they keep going about their life. They keep going about their, their healing and their process of getting back to their families and their jobs and all sorts of things. But this one man was so overcome with what God had done for him that he turns back to go and he bows down at the feet of Jesus and he praises him and he gives him the glory and he realizes I had nothing to do with this, right? And the shocking point of the story is in verse 16. It says, now he was a Samaritan. This man was not only in exile because he was a, a leper, he was in exile because he was a half-breed who had no part of the people of God. And he's the one who is the positive example in this story. This half-breed Samaritan is not only showing us how to live as part of the kingdom, he is putting these other nine to shame. Why? Because he's living a God-focused life. The others are so consumed with themselves and the good that's happening and what's going on in their life, they can't even pause to give God thanks, to give him praise, to, to point out that this was God who did this. And Jesus notices this, and he calls it out. He says, weren't there, weren't, weren't there ten of y'all? Where's the other nine? Only you came to give praise, and you're a foreigner? He says, rise, go your way, your faith has made you well. I think, I think what Jesus is calling us to look at in our own life is who do we give credit when things go well? Who do we give credit when, when life is good? Who, who do we give credit when there's provision and protection and mercy and grace and friendship? And Are we just so consumed with ourselves and what we got out of it? Or do we stop and realize that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father? And do we stop and do we give God praise for the things that are in our lives? You see, really all of these are about living a God-focused life. 
We'll only serve willingly if we're focused on God, not ourselves. We'll only live by faith in Him if we're focused on God and not ourselves. We'll only forgive freely if we're focused on God and not ourselves. We'll take sin seriously if we're focused on God and not ourselves. We will only value one another and the community if we're focused on God and not ourselves. And so the simple question today for us, as we think about each one of these stories and what Jesus presents, hey, here's, here's what you should value as part of being a part of the kingdom. The simple question is this, do I value the same things as Jesus? In my family, in my church, in my community of friends, in my, in, in my circles, do I value these things? Because what we value shapes our community. It shapes our church. It shapes our family. See, Jesus says, no, we're to value community. The world says that self and self-actualization and achievement and, and getting what's yours is most important. And Jesus says, no, value one another more. The kingdom, Jesus says, take sin seriously. The world says something totally different. We celebrate sin. We ignore sin. We, we excuse it. We just justify it. Jesus says, no, not in my people. We're going to take it seriously. In Jesus' kingdom, we're to forgive freely. That's not how the world works. The world holds grudges. The world cuts those out who, 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 who have shown a pattern of sin in their life and we're just going to cut them out because they're toxic and they're not good. We're not gonna, I know Jesus forgives me, but I'm not going to forgive them, right? The world, I'm sorry, in Jesus' kingdom, we're called to live by faith. The world doesn't. The world says, no, live by reason. Live by what you can do, what you can accomplish. And Jesus says, no, live by faith. Trust in me. Don't trust in yourselves. In Jesus' kingdom, he says, serve willingly. The world says something totally different. Get what's yours. Get what's yours. Or that's not my job. Sorry, I'm not doing that. That's not my job. What does Jesus say? No, serve willingly. Give yourself up. Why? Because I'm an unworthy servant. And the kingdom says, live a God-focused life, giving praise and honor to God. The world says something totally different and values something totally different. It's about pride. It's about our own selves and what we get out of it and what we accomplished and how great we are. And Jesus says, no, focus on God. He's the one who brought you here. And so the simple question today is, do I value the same things as Jesus? Let me pray. God, your word often exposes us and shows how we fall short. God, God, forgive us where we do not value the same things that you do. Forgive us where we think we know better and have better and can do better than you. God, forgive us where we place emphasis on all the wrong things. God, I pray that you would shape each one of us to be people like this, who are focused on you, who forgive freely, who take sin seriously, who love, God, I pray that you would shape us and change us and form us. God, we need you. We can't do this on our own. And so we pray that you would help us. Uh, we love you. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.